And now's a great time to be learning it because as you said, something's coming down the pipeline. We don't it know is. exactly when, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but something's right. coming down the pipeline. And so if you can learn some of these creative strategies, you're going to be able to take advantage more than yeah. anybody else. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Bill Ham. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, doing excellent, man. Thanks for joining me. Uh, Bill is the chief operating officer, the COO of Broadwell Property Group, formerly a private jet pilot for a surgeon, a world-renowned surgeon. <laughs> Ham, <laughs> Bill left the uh, corporate aviation life, began his investing career with a single duplex more than 50, yeah. over more than 15 years. He's grown that company to include more than 15 hundred units spread over the state of Georgia, along with the thriving property management company. And uh, of course, now again, he's the COO of Broadwell. So with that said, Bill, welcome to the show and uh, give our listeners a bit more about your background. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me. Uh, like I said, I've been in business uh, almost 16 years now, a little 15, I got to update that uh, bio there, but um, started off as a corporate pilot, came out of school, started flying airplanes, um, saw, it was in 05, 04, 05, around that range, and uh, I was watching friends of mine flip houses and, and thought, you know, wait a minute, we were all at the bar last night, you know, you, you guys are friends of mine, y'all are a bunch of idiots, and, and I got up and went to work this morning, and you went and flipped some houses, and, you know, one or two flips you're making, what I'm making all year long, I went, wait a minute, there's something wrong with this equation, and um, so I spent about a year or so kind of researching and studying real estate, I read all the books I could read, you know, just the normal stuff, and um, my very first deal was a duplex, and uh, the duplex is cash flow of 300 bucks, I had saved up $10,000 total life savings, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm a genius. I'm out of here. And I turned <laughs> notice. You you actually quit after one duplex. I I yes. I, <laughs> yeah. The dupl well, the duplex is nothing broke. Was cash flow three hundred bucks, and I yeah. had uh, ten grand. Yeah, found out real quick I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. But, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, but hey, figured it out. Um, you know, just after flipping houses and and uh, kind of crawling up the food chain, if you will, it started very humble beginnings, very tough neighborhood, uh, Macon, Georgia. Uh, middle Georgia, which is um, yeah. not the most uh, affluent area of the world, I'll, I'll say that, and uh, started in some pretty tough neighborhoods, flipped and, and then slowly got into the multifamily, just kind of started getting bigger and bigger, you know, I mean, very small multifamily, so like nine units was the first one, and, and 20 units, and so forth and so on, until I got up into larger assets. Um, my first 402 units, I was actually able to get in place and build that portfolio with only creative financing. So not what I mean by creative financing is not going into a bank, sitting down, putting down 20%, getting a loan and buying the property. Yep. I did ultimately do that, but that was well into my career. So yeah, the first one or two units was either seller financing, lease options, credit cards, uh, partners, uh, you know, you name it. I had come up with some way to get the deals done. And uh, and so fast forward, I've been in the business this whole time. Things you mentioned, uh, you know, management company. I've, I've managed everything that I've owned. 
And now I've actually written a book and uh, we're launching a book uh, actually this week. So February 9th, uh, my book, A Creative Catch will be out. So that's what I've been, that's, that's the background. So are you still doing creative financing deals at all? Well, yes and no. Whenever possible, yes. Um, One thing people have to understand about creative financing is it's sort of cyclical. You know, markets cycle, the economy cycles, and creative financing is a technique used to solve seller problems. That's where a lot of people, you know, kind of make a mistake when trying to use some of these techniques is they think it's all about uh, getting a deal for themselves, what's good for themselves, you know. And that's, that's the wrong way of looking at creative financing. It's about finding a seller with some kind of problem, making an offer, you know, that, that solves their problem in exchange, gives you access to the real estate. So that's sort of the, the matrix of, of creative financing. All right. Has creative financing been around heavily over the last five, six years? No. Market's been super hot. You know, I mean, if, if the seller had a problem, distressed asset, whatever the case, they probably could just stick on the market, list it get asking price or even more for it. You know what I mean? So, so yeah. it's not really, there was a whole lot of problem. That's about to change. We're going into a recession cycle. The economy is about to turn. Um, real estate will, will face some headwinds. One of the largest ones that we're going to be up against is uh, retreating debt. This is always a marker of, uh, of an economic downturn cycle. Uh, the lenders start to pull back. We've already started to see it happen right now. Lenders looking for larger uh, you know, less loan to value, larger escrows for repairs. Um, Fannie and Freddie, if you're trying to do commercial loans right now, they want you to put up a year's worth of principal interest, tax and insurance. You know. So the, the lenders are starting to really tighten up on their criteria. And this is this always is sort of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like the lenders say, hey, I think we're going into a recession. So they tighten up criteria, which puts us into a recession, you know. So it, it's, it's a way of kind of predicting the market cycle by watching what debt's doing. Well, point being is if debt starts to pull back, the first thing they stop doing is lending on distressed assets. You know, things that aren't the, the highest here, maybe the numbers aren't great, you know, maybe there's some repairs need to be done. They just really tighten up on those types of, of properties. Well, that's where creative finance comes in. It's when a seller, you know, can't just park that deal on the open market and, and get asking price plus a dollar. You know, all of a sudden they can't really sell the property at all. Why? Because you can't get a decent mortgage to buy the property. Yeah. That's when creative financing kicks in. And so this is going to be a really important subject over the next, well, between sort of today and, and I'm predicting over the next four years of this market cycle, this is going to be a very prevalent information. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, I, I really like how you position that seller financing is really about serving the seller, not the buyer. Right? right. And so you've got to figure out a way to make it attractive to the seller. The, the, every time I've done seller financing of any kind, it's showing them the profit they're going to be able to make with seller financing versus if they sell it traditionally. And, and like you said, the, you know, look, this is kind of impossible to finance. Your property isn't, isn't going to be possible to finance. Here's what you, here's what you're going to get if you sell it to me through this, this method. Um, And you're providing them an opportunity. Um, So, so now is a great time to, so is your book about then creative financing? It is. It's called creative cash. Creative cash. Uh, So I figured right there in the title. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it is uh, strictly on creative financing for real estate. Yeah. Um, the, the, it leans towards multifamily in the conversation. That's just because I do multifamily. That's what you've done. But you know, listeners need to understand that, hey, look, creative financing has absolutely nothing to do with multifamily at all. You can use it on any type of yeah. real estate. I mean, any asset category, any type. It's about sellers, not real estate. And, and yeah. that's, I always tell everybody, 
look, 90% of a good deal is seller. 10% is the real estate. The real estate can be dealt with. You know, you can have the best asset in the world and if the seller is not really willing to work with you or negotiate, no matter what the real estate is, does it? So it's again, the same, same thought process in this uh, problem solving point of view about addressing issues and, and really deal analysis is what I'm saying. It's a problem solving approach to deal analysis. You know, and so the analysis starts with the seller, not the asset, not the numbers, not the property. You know, that's where everybody mm -hmm. kind of teaches, get a T12, figure out the NOI. Yeah, sure. We do all that. But let's go talk to that seller and see what, what you know, motivates them yeah. and then solve it from that angle. Yeah, that's, that's where I see most students, most people that I work with go wrong in creative financing. It's, it's me, me. And then second thought is, oh, yeah, there's a seller involved. That's you got to reverse that. Yeah, no, great, great points. And like you said, it's not only it's not always the same reasoning either that they, you know, Absolutely. they might they might they might not care about the cash up front. They might want the cash flow. They might. And there's so many different scenarios. Burned out. They, My they favorite. Burned out. Right. Real yeah. estate's not a problem at all. The, the assets in great shape. This landlord is just tired of just trash tired. and toilets and tenants and whatever. And they just they want to go. That's a, a, a perfect scenario for a match lease option. Yeah. Excellent yeah. scenario for that. Yep. Love, love that. Yeah, you're right. I've never done two deals that were the same. Never. Never two sellers had the same problem, the same needs, the same wants. Every single deal is completely different. Probably one of the, so do you go through different scenarios and different ways you've set up uh, the seller financing in the book? I do. I do. Yeah. It's a step-by-step -step process through the entire uh, system. Um, starting off with yeah, deal analysis, how to look at deals, how to analyze deals from a creative perspective. So I take you all through the math. I take you through a lot of formulas. It's all pretty simple stuff, uh, you know, and, and I've written it for a be anywhere from beginning to intermediate level. So uh, if you're new to business, this is a, a great subject for you to start learning. It's, um, it's how I got into business without a lot of cash, without a lot of experience, yeah. um, you know, and it's a way to build experience. But yeah, I walk everybody through step by step. And um, teach you how to how to go through the whole process uh, of, of deal analysis and, and looking at it. Um, yeah, so yeah, total total step by step process in there. So definitely. And now's a great time to be learning it because, as you said, something's coming down the pipeline. We don't it know is. exactly when. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but something's right. coming down the pipeline. And so, if you can learn some of these creative strategies you're going to be able to take advantage more than yeah. anybody else. And, Agreed. And you know, it's what I always tell everybody, the creative financing is, is not the way. It's not, yeah. it's it's not a, the a only way. way. Right. I don't yeah. want anybody to go out there and say, hey, I'm only going to do seller financing deals mm -hmm. or I'm only doing this. No, 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 stop. Yeah. Seller finance or creative financing just are tools that increase probability. Yeah. That's it. You know, if, if you're finding, if your only tool is to, to go to the bank and, and put down 20%, 30%, whatever, you know, interest rate, loan to value, all this garbage, you're going to find that in the future, very few deals actually fit that model, you know? And so this creative financing is just a way to say, hey, when you analyze a deal and you say that deal does not work, here are several other techniques that can increase the probability that maybe it will work. And if you go through all those and it still doesn't work, then put it back in the trash and move on, you know? Uh, so creative financing is not the only way. It's just a way to increase probability. So don't go around asking for seller financing deals and lease option deals, especially not to realtors. You'll look like you can't close, like you don't have any money. So just, you know, analyze the deal like you always do. If it doesn't work, educate the seller as to why it doesn't work, then create an offer. And that, that's how you want to do that. Yeah, that that's a great point. You don't want to, if you're running around asking 
realtors, Hey, you know, do they, will they accept seller financing? And well, then you just, like you said, you look like you don't qualify. They, right. that's hey. all, that's what they think of. And, exactly. don't and they don't want to, they don't want to be a part of that either. Right. Correct. <laughs> they, they, you know, a realtor is a real trans seller. They're, they're worried about closing. They're worried about getting yeah. paid at closing. Right. Yeah. So that's your biggest obstacle right there is that they're going to go, wait a minute, I'm not getting all my money right now. You know? Yep. So yeah, that, that's why you don't really want. And, and the worst thing I think you can do is to reach out to realtors uh, specifically and say, Hey, do you have any deals that uh, have, you know, that qualify for seller financing, any seller, any lease option deals that don't do that. They're going to write you off instantly. Yep. So just, just look at deals the way you always do. If it doesn't work, then figure out it, then use some of these creative financing techniques. Cause if it does work and you can go to the bank and get a loan, do it. You should. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. Good, good advice. I mean, if you, if you get the regular loan, if the property works like that, you probably I, should. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, if you can't qualify for the loan, then we have a we're, that's a different conversation altogether. Yeah. You know, if you don't have the ability to financially qualify for that type of debt, well, now you're talking about syndication. Now you're talking about going out and finding partners and you know bringing balance sheet people and 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 I do that as well. That's just not quite the the point of this, you know. So yeah, I say if you if the property qualifies for debt, go buy it with debt. Why not? It's the safest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What is somebody who um. Somebody's like, hey, this this is speaking to me, right? I really mm-hmm. like this idea of seller financing. Um, obviously, reading your book is probably step one. Like, what else do they really need to know that maybe we haven't hit on anything that we haven't hit on that they they should really? Yeah, uh, well, we you know, okay, then I'll, I'll give the selfless plug. I also have a uh, masterclass that you can go in and download. That's at uh, creativeapartmentdeals.com. So you can go download that. But um, yeah, really what I would suggest besides, you know, telling you to come get my information, what I would recommend is you really take your real estate business, um, real estate education into the negotiation arena. That's an area, uh, you know, Todd, that I see is like woefully, misunderstood and studied amongst real estate investors. Go pick up some books on negotiation. It's a really, really good course of, of study. That's what I recommend because, now I'm going to teach you in my book, certainly how to negotiate uh, creative financing, but I, I can't teach you all of the things about negotiation. So I really would suggest your listeners go out uh, and, and start making a, a formal study of negotiation. A lot of great works out there, a lot of great authors, but that's what I'd recommend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have a favorite? Uh, I do at the moment. I like Chris Voss. So he's pretty yeah, popular. He's, he's pretty. Awesome. He's good. He's the one. Everybody's like, yeah, Chris Voss. Uh, that's a good one. Um, and then I like some of the older guys. Uh, a Herb Cohen, uh, negotiate this. And uh, of course, there's always the classic, getting the yes. Uh, you know, Robert, uh, Uri, William Fisher. Those, those are the classics. But uh, yeah, you just go out and find a couple of good books on that. You'd, you'd be surprised what you can learn. Uh, a lot of skills that, that extend well outside of business and real estate. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Good stuff. Hey, real quick. I just want to let you know about the multifamily challenge that we got going on. It's a five day multifamily challenge on how to get an offer in uh, quickly, right? So we're going to teach you in five days, five one hour sessions. We're going to go through the steps and the process to get there. So go to mfichallenge.com, mfichallenge.com. You can sign up. It's free. If you want the VIP, there's a bunch of things that we'll give away too. You got to you, get, you do have to pay for that, but Hey, it's going to be well worth it. Again, you can get in for free. We're going to teach you how to get that offer 
across the table, get the LOI in uh, all the steps. So Ellis Hammond and I, Ellis was episode 316. Check, check out his episode. And we're going to be doing this next week. So sign up now at MFI Challenge dot com mfichallenge.com and get in there we're uh we're doing it next week and it's going to be awesome so hope to see you there so, so so right now your what's your what's your main focus on what are you trying to do right now to in today's market yeah we're i'm i'm looking weekly at, at multifamily assets and that's pretty much what we all we do it in broadwell we we do that in some lending but um, you know, as far as the multifamily is concerned right now, the prices are pretty high. Yeah. I think some of the metrics have, have really kind of departed the market. You know, I, I don't agree with a lot of the valuation and a lot of the underwriting that I see in the market right now. Uh, so am I on the sidelines? No, but I'm also not making stupid purchases. Therefore, functionally somewhat on the sideline. Um, I know, I understand market cycles. And I know what's coming and I know when, when to hold them, when to fold them. And so I'm going to sit tight for a minute, uh, flight to quality. Um, I'm only interested in newer buildings because at the moment, I believe we're all going to have to overpay for real estate a little bit. Well, if I'm going to overpay, I want to overpay for quality. You know, I want to overpay for a nicer building. Um, one of the big issues and one of the big things that I talk about a lot uh, in my lectures and in my world is uh, what I call the CapEx tsunami. And what I'm afraid of at the moment, and one thing that I think is not really being discussed in America enough, aging assets, uh, yeah. not only aging infrastructure like plumbing and, and roads and belts, I mean, there's that, but 60s and 70s built apartment complexes, you know, which is the real bulk of our affordable housing in America, the assets are aging out. And those things are getting old, that plumbing's getting old, you know, those roofs and the electrical are outdated. And, and the cap rates spread between the C's and the A's are absurdly low, absurdly narrow. So you're paying almost an A cap rate for a C asset that I believe is being misunderstood because really, if you're buying that thing at a four or five cap rate, and then all of a sudden year two or three, you're doing all this plumbing work and, and the you know repairs and the upgrades, the electrical, blah, blah, blah. Operationally, that's a one or a two cap. That's not a good idea, you know, and so that's where I'm kind of looking at the C space going, yeah, that, that's going to be some trouble. Um, the, the, that X that uh, really exaggerates the problem if we overpay for the building, one, because our cost basis is now too high, and two, you got to hold the asset much, much longer to get the same cash flow and returns. And so that's kind of what I'm predicting is like if everybody's going to pay low cap rates in today's market, we're probably going to hold on to these assets for a good seven years to get the same returns that we were able to get in two years over the last two years or last five right. years. You know? And so that's why I'm, I'm kind of, there's going to be a flattening of the market. Well, that's, that's not a real big problem as long as the building that you just bought has the physical legs under it to, to not collapse in the next yeah. seven years and take your cap rate into a, an extremely low number, no cash flow, no profit. So that's kind of one of my predictions. And that's where we at Broadwell and, and what I am suggesting to all your listeners be careful about what you buy right now. Sit tight on those C's. Let's let that that part cool off. Hey, let's wait till there's some sellers with some distress and then come in with some creative financing. That's when you want to get back into that C space. Right now, I would move uh, flight to quality is, is what I call it. It's what we're doing. Um, newer assets, nicer nicer neighborhoods. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more with that. Um, you know, people people forget, or I maybe not even forget. They just don't know. A lot of people are buying these buildings. They just don't. They don't really understand the construction 
of these buildings and understand that exactly as you said, like, look, galvanized piping and cast iron piping, it doesn't last forever. And guess what? We're actually beyond its life expectancy. Correct. And so if you're buying, so I, I was just sent a 60s asset uh, portfolio and I'm like, look, guys, we're going to, we want to put in CapEx about $500,000 to replace all this plumbing because we cannot expect this plumbing to withstand any longer. Like it's just, it's just going to, and guess what? Even if it does, it's going to cost us so much in operational expenses because we're going to have that little hole here. And it's that all of a sudden we got to replace this section and we got to replace this section and we got to rot it out, you know, uh, waste pipe and we got to replace that. Plus we got some flooding that happened, you know, crap came in somebody's unit because of the rust. And it's like, Man, yep. guys, you, you, you sound have like you're to in be the aware. Business. I'm in the business. I get it. You sound like you're in the business. That, that's exactly what I'm talking about right yeah. there. It, yeah. It's going oh. to happen exactly as you said. There's going to be this CapEx tsunami. And what's happened is these buildings have been putting lipstick on right. since the, you know, the 90s when the, the galvanized was still okay, right? And then you... Right. Well, let's let's upgrade it, and then five to ten years later, let's upgrade it, and then five to ten years later, let's upgrade it. We keep on doing that, but we're not actually upgrading the real issues that are potentially like these skeletons behind the closet, right? Exactly. That's what I call whiny plumbing. You know, it doesn't completely explode. <laughs> it just it's just kind of whiny all over the place. You know, little drips here and there, right? And you literally watch your cash flow go down the drain. Yeah. Literally, you know, it's, which it's, creates yeah. negative. NOI and creates ultimately right. poor values of your property. And that's, <laughs> exactly. And that's why I'm kind of predicting a decline in the C space. The, the um, supply and demand is solid. So it's not that. But the problem is what I'm seeing is, is NIMBYism, not in my backyard, you know, in the you know, BY NIMBY. And as your buildings start to age, it's the more affluent areas around your property that says, hey, that's the bad neighborhood. See, that's the slumlord. And they start complaining to code enforcement. And all of a sudden, code enforcement's over there knocking on your door going, hey, yeah. you're abusive to your tenants. A good and point. Honestly, you probably are. You, you need to provide good, clean, affordable housing. It can't leak. It can't be junk. It can't be full of bugs. It can't be rotten. Yes, but hold on. You're going to be the one to write that check. Yeah, but you so I'm too much. Right. And I'm, so I don't want to be negative on affordable housing. And I don't want anybody to think that I'm actually down on older buildings or C space. I'm not. I love that product at the right price. And see, that's the that's the gift that just keeps on giving. When you overpay for that building, you know, you get stuck on that, that like CapEx treadmill. You know, it's like a bad credit card. You just can't get off. You're just stuck on those payments. Yeah. That's where I think we're headed in the C space. And so, again, it's, it's not a problem as long as you have the money to write the check. Yeah. And when yeah. you all of a sudden blow the value up of the asset, cost basis, what you bought it for, buy, and now what you got to put in it exceeds the value of the asset. That's no bueno. And that's what I'm kind of saying, hey, watch out. I'm afraid we're going to see an inversion of pricing in the C space here for too, too much longer because people like you and I, Todd, are figuring out, hey, that plumbing is gonzo, you know, and, and you sit down and pencil out what, what it takes to just strip it all out and replace it. You're in foreclosure the day you buy the thing with, with a four cap rate or a five cap rate or something like that. You know? yeah. So that's why I'm kind of saying right now, uh, probably safer uh, until things settle down, flight to quality, be very careful about aged assets, be very careful about turning a blind eye 
to uh, underwriting and the underwriting of the capital expense needs for that property. It's what I call pencil whipping. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm from Georgia, so uh, we read next, that's what we call it. Don't, don't pencil whip your deal, you know, <laughs> just, just making it all work on paper, uh, basically what I'm saying. So, yep. yeah, that, that's kind of, I think, where we're at. And that's one of my predictions for the market. Uh, not a giant crash, necessarily a correction. Yeah, yeah. I I, I like that. I mean, I I, I probably, uh, for the most part, agree with with your analysis there. And it's hard to, again, it's hard to say, right? We don't oh, have a okay. crystal bar ball but um you know something's got to give eventually especially as you said on the c class it just makes it just makes sense so yeah um, i always make a joke how do you know when we when we uh hit the market peak or how do you know when the the market's peaked you look backwards and go oh there it goes yep Yep. You, you you know you, it's always hindsight always can't tell you always look back and go oh that that was it there it goes you know it's funny it's it's funny when you you say that i i wasn't investing in real estate in you know, 2004 and five. Although I re- still remember telling one of my friends in 2005, he said, I said something about real estate's going to crash. It's just going to crash. I, I see it coming. And he's like, whatever, they're not making any more land. It's not going to happen. Well, they, they aren't making more land, but they were making a lot more houses. Uh, it, it crashed of course, but in, in, 20, whatever it was, when, when the bottom was starting to, you could tell we're probably starting to go up soon. I just remember everybody telling me they're waiting until the bottom, they're waiting until the bottom, they're waiting until, and I'm sitting here buying and I'm buying like everything I possibly can. And by the bot, by the time the bottom hit, it was already like, you know, way up here. And people are like, oh, wow. The bottom was, you know, eight, 10 months ago. They didn't see it until it was way beyond and they're already buying not at the top but at the rise on the other side yeah like guys you just missed out on yep. you know 12 to 18 months worth of inventory that you could have been buying but Absolutely. luckily for me i was buying it so yeah you know i, I think you, you gotta pick the metrics pick the man pick the business model and stick to it and stick to it and stick to it and, and yeah. that means you're gonna not maximize the very top of the market you know you're probably not gonna maximize the very very bottom either you're going to get it right most of the time, right through the middle. Just pick the math that works for you. Stick to it. Don't don't yeah. go chasing deals. Don't chase your friends and the, the get their itis and follow the Joneses. And you know you're going to see people closing deals. And you're going to go, how in the world did they close that deal? You know that's crazy. Hey, I do it every week. I'm looking at a deal going, that's crazy. How did this person close that deal? Yeah. There's always a small part of my mind that gets jealous. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah, going, yeah. Well, you know what do they what do they know that I don't know? No, let's reverse that. Why do I know that they don't know? And so yeah. I can, you know, and that's why I have to turn that kind of part of your mind off and go, no, I, I got my metrics. I know my business. I'm sticking to it. And that's that. And, and you know, you're going to miss some deals, but good for you. That's a really important mindset. Hard, hard, hard to get your mind around that mindset. Take right? practice. <laughs> it takes yeah. practice. Because especially today, like the social media, right? It's everywhere around us. You see these people, oh, I just closed on this 250 unit deal. And you're like, what's wrong with me? Why didn't I close on a 250 unit deal? What am I doing wrong? What's wrong what am with I me? doing wrong? Stupid. I must be, no, not true. Not true. The market is crazier in a box of frogs right now. You need to just sit tight and stick There's to your math. Coming out on you again. There you go. That's it. You know what I mean? And, and know your metrics and, and, and don't, don't chase everybody else. Don't worry about it. Don't let all that news and stuff get in your head and maybe they got lucky who knows maybe that's the greatest deal in the world and maybe you're about to get lucky yeah but you know hope is not a business model <laughs> i like it so um 
you're not aggressively pursuing multifamily. Are you, are you aggressively trying to grow any aspect of your business right now? I, I am, and we are aggressively pursuing multifamily. I'm just not aggressively getting my aggressive offers accepted. You're, you're so, not aggressively. You're not, not changing. Aggressively you're not changing your underwriting. You're no. not. You're not doing things to, right. to create right. so, deals. Correct. We're not chasing deals. We're aggressively analyzing deals. But yeah. again, the numbers and the statistics are not in our favor at the moment, just because. Yeah. Of but um, yeah, more of the education side of the business. I am absolutely uh, passionately growing that side of the business right now. Um, so I brought out the book. Uh, I, I coach and I teach for uh, Wilbur of Profits, Jake and Gino. Uh, you know, so I'm very active and, and passionate about teaching. I, I would sit here and do this for free all day long. Uh, you know, don't tell them because they pay me, but uh, I love talking real estate. You know, I, I, my wife's sick of hearing it. So this is always a good event for me to get here have a good real estate conversation. So yeah, I love teaching. I love speaking. Um, getting out doing a lot of that. Uh, I've written this book, Creative Catch, uh, which comes out February 9th on Amazon. And I am actually some about 60% through a second book that I'm working on. So that, that's to be determined. That's coming out later on. But uh, yeah, so I'm working on a second book, but we've got this one right now um, coming out right, right up. A Amazon, Audible, and Kindle, as a matter of fact. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. So what are, you know, you've been in business for a while. Um, what'd you say? 16 years, right? Almost 16. Yeah. Coming up on 16 years. And obviously you've seen a lot. What, what's a, what's a mistake that you've made along the way and how'd you learn from it? Oof. Take with We count here. Yeah, uh, right. yeah. Yeah. Long list. Um, one of the, I guess probably a real estate answer would be one of the mistakes that I made is early on was not really placing the deal into the context of the market, you know, just misanalyzing deals by only looking at things like cash flow and not really looking at the, at the area in the market around the property, not giving the neighborhood, the city, the area as much value as I should. I was analyzing deals sort of, you know, in a, with tunnel vision. If, if it hit certain cash flow numbers, that was great. That was good. I could speak to that, man. Man, you got to back your vision way up beyond yeah. that. And that was, I made a lot of mistakes earlier on in my business, buying assets um, with the prediction of the, the neighborhood really doing what it was never going to do. You know, just, just having very rosy colored glasses on about the asset. And that's kind of goes back to that CapEx. You know, I mean, those, those old, yeah junk real estate I'll, I'll call it it just not doesn't appreciate much it's uh it's an education that's about it yeah that's that's good that's good i good I, I i can speak to that man i there you go. <laughs> like you got you look at this deal and you're like oh this thing works and you don't you're not paying attention i mean maybe a little bit to the neighborhood but you're not paying attention to really what's yeah. going on there and, and yeah like everything you know it's, it's the age old adage location 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 right yeah. no one ever says cash flow cash flow cash flow yeah. <laughs> you know why because location has everything to everything. do with appreciation yeah. and appreciation is actually what real estate is about yeah everybody thinks it's cash flow and that's great but Look, it's appreciation. Is if your building does not go up in value, your your exit strategy is likely to be very constrained. And and again, exit strategy that's huge subject. You know, you got to know, you got to be able to get out of these things. Uh, you know, I, I hate the comment. Uh, you make money when you buy. I think that's probably some of the worst real estate advice in all of history because it mitigates the value of an exit strategy. You know, that comment basically says, "Oh, hey, you can go buy anything and and you'll make money as long as you buy it." That's nonsense. Ask anybody that went into foreclosure if they made money when they buy. 
That's an absurd comment. You might create value when you buy. You make money when you get out of the deal and the check clears the banking account. <laughs> and that's when you make money, when you exit profitably, not when you buy something. So uh, anyway, get off on a tangent there. But yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's, that's a perfect yeah, tangent. I watched that one. That's another mistake I made early on was, was yeah. being way too confident in the purchase and admitting, not, not putting enough value on the exit strategy. Exit strategy is everything in this business. I invested in a poor um, market that I, I likely shouldn't have invested in, or at least the part of the neighborhood in that market. Right. Um, and, and it was because I was looking at the cash flow only, looking at what was going on with the cash flow. I was going to make great cash flow. And that was in turn going to make the deal great. Well, in hindsight, like you said, you you've got it's it it the location is so valuable yeah is cash flow important yeah we got we got to be able to pay the bills like Absolutely. no doubt you can't you can't buy a property and not pay the bills at least in my opinion now, some people yeah. do but i think that's crazy but you've got to focus on that appreciation and you got to focus on your exit strategy you got to focus on how you can create the value yeah you can't and what's the, what's the point of the Good deal? Luck. And all these people that want to chase these markets, you know, chase dying markets, you know, it's got, it's got population decline. I'm going to, I'm going to invest in, I don't know, name a market with population decline, Cleveland. Um, you know, I'm going to invest there because it's got great cash flow. And by the way, I don't know anything about Cleveland, so maybe it's great, but um, you know, all of a sudden the market's tanking and, and, your your property that you bought for a million dollars is now worth six hundred thousand. What what, yeah. was, what was the point of all that beautiful cash flow? Yeah, exactly. And, and especially if you go into foreclosure with it. So, yeah. so it's it's not about making money, as I said, it's about keeping it right. So yeah. you know that that's the whole point of an exit strategy is is being able to get out of that thing profitably. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's that's uh, tremendously important. Well, since you mentioned the aviation thing, I'll I'll tell you a story. I remember my very first solo flight. Uh, uh, the flight instructor, we landed the airplane and, and I had just been flying airplanes for a few weeks, you know, brand new. I, was, uh, I think I was a teenager at the time, actually. And a uh, flight instructor, we land the airplane and he all of a sudden we're on the runway and he says, stop. And he hops out the airplane, closes the door. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, where are you going? You know, and I remember he, he said, OK, you're going to go on your first solo flight. And he leaned back in the door and I'll never forget. He said, hey, listen, remember, takeoffs optional, landings mandatory. And he closed the door and walked off, you know, and was, okay, whatever. I'm about to go find an airplane. I didn't think of it. Well, it's one of those things I thought about later on. And he, you know, the guy's absolutely right. You have a choice as to whether to take the airplane off or not. But if you do, you have no choice but to put that thing back on the ground, you know, wheels up, wings up. Somehow that airplane is going back on the ground. Well, if you close a deal, you will exit. You will exit profitably, intact financially, in foreclosure. So, so don't, you know, it's not all about buying real estate. Everybody thinks yeah. it's about closing deals and getting into the deal. And that's, that's just a horrible point of view. It's, you, it's both, it's closing and exit. And I see a lot of teachers out there that say things like, oh, I invest only for cash flow. If I get appreciation, that's, uh, you know, that's a nice to have. That's just lucky. No, it's not. You, you got to have both. You must have both. And if you don't have a, you know, cash, if you, cash flow is great. You're not going to pay the bills, as you said, but if you don't have appreciation, you may not have a profitable exit strategy. Try and refinance a property that's declined in value. I've, I've tried that. It didn't work very well. <laughs> Try and sell one, uh, you know, when you're upside down on the debt. Done that too. Doesn't work very well. So again, it's, it's very important that we pay attention to all sides. And don't listen to people that tell you appreciation is, is just for fun. That's terrible advice. Yeah, yeah, de definitely, definitely. What are... Um... 
what's what are some success habits that you've uh, uh, been able to put in place that you really think other people can learn from? Yeah, um, two two success habits. One easy one. Um, I read and study a lot. I, I think you need to be a student of all things at all times. Um, personally, it's uh, two cups of coffee in the Wall Street Journal every morning. That's personal uh, routine, uh, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, so I, I recommend um, just constantly studying. Study things academically, like obviously negotiation, real estate, my book, things of that nature, but also study the news. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it, but you need to know what's going on, um, you know, and I'm not a very political person, so I don't really care politics-wise, but I, I can tell you just about anything that's going on around the planet because I read the, the Wall Street Journal all the time it gives you great conversation besides the weather. If you've been reading and studying the news, you know what's going on in the world and you meet a stranger or you're networking or you're out trying to meet people, you can always talk about something besides the blasted weather. What a stupid conversation to have with somebody, you know? Have something more intelligent to say. And so by, by reading and studying a lot, you always have conversation. And that's actually been one of the best networking techniques that um, I've come across is being able to carry on a conversation with somebody other than just what you're after, other than just trying to raise money or your deal or real estate, you know, be an interesting person. And uh, so reading and studying and being global certainly help you do that. Um, I would say the second uh, thing that I would say was a success is learning how to tolerate failure. Uh, that's a biggie. You know, people, people are too sensitive to failure, I think. And you really got to learn how to, to be, you got to practice failure. You know, you got to get good at failure. It's one of those mindsets that uh, just takes practice. You know, hey, if you go crazy, nobody's coming to save you. You're the tip of the spear. It's your business. Yep. Everybody's yep. looking to you to make it happen. You you cannot go crazy. And trust me, I have. <laughs> so I've been through a wait. I went through the crash, you know. Uh, so yeah, 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 yeah. But that's it. I think um, largely just, just being willing to fail the first time. You know, I would I would go as far as say a, a failure isn't a, a mistake is not a failure until you repeat it. I put it that way. You know what I mean? A mistake the first time around is is an education. Yeah. Okay, the second time around it's a failure. But you know, yeah. people people kind of look at mistakes as failures the first time they make them, and I think that's a terrible point of view. So those yeah. are probably my two success tips that I've I've put in place. Cool. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Um. What's a uh... What's a what's a favorite book, uh, favorite other book. than your own? Yeah, yeah other than my right. <laughs> Let's see. No, I got lots of favorite books. I, I like classics. Um, I would say probably favorite book is is uh, The Prince by Machiavelli. Absolute favorite book, and I think uh, and I've, I've said this before. I think Machiavelli is one of the most misunderstood authors in history. Everybody always thinks he's some kind of evil, you know, overlord Machiavelli. Better to be feared and loved. All this kind of nonsense. It's it's a woeful misunderstanding of uh, Machiavelli and his work. Uh, the Prince is an excellent novel, and if you kind of take that and, and reread it uh, and apply it in the concept of like a business instead of um, a prince or a kingdom, something like that, and you just mentally swap those words out with CEO and, and company, uh, it's, a, it's an amazing uh, management and business novel, actually. You just have to learn how to read it. Interesting. Interesting. Yep. Um, all right. So I got one last question before we wrap right. up. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? Uh, three pillars of wealth creation. Um, one, well, if we're talking real estate, well, real estate would be one of them. <laughs> get, get in and you, learn. You, you can, we know that. <laughs> yeah, you talk however you want. I don't. Yeah, I, I would I say uh, one would be learn an asset class. It doesn't necessarily have to be real estate. That's just what I do. But I would certainly focus would be the first one 
focus on whatever uh, asset or business type you're after. Don't get caught up in shiny object syndrome. Um, you know, be, be willing to really put the time and the energy in into one thing until you really master it. So spend some time figuring out what's right for you yeah. and, then, and then really dive in and put all your eggs in one basket and mm. stare at that basket. That's, uh, I, don't, I don't like hedging. I don't like, um, you know, watering things down. I'm a very focused person. So that would be my first pillar would be uh, focus on whatever it is you're doing. Second, we kind of talked about would probably be um, learn the art of failure. You know, learn, learn. All right, I guess my second pillar, let me put it this way. Redefine your definition of insanity. That would be my second pillar, right? So when I always ask this question, I say, what's the common definition of insanity? And of course, everybody always says the same thing. Oh, it's the, uh, you know, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. First of all, no, it's not. Look it up. That's made up. That's a meme. That's not true. The definite, okay. And then I ask you if the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result, what's your definition of practice? Hmm. It's the same thing. You know, so are you telling me that practice is insane? Practice is doing the same thing over and over, not expecting a different result, staying there until you get one. And so that's why I say the second pillar would have to be, be pulling down the concept of, of what we consider insanity, which is just a way of me let, you know, moving into practice. Practice is the second pillar. You really have to be willing to practice. And under the, the guise of practice, false failure, because obviously to, to be good at good practice, you have to be good at failure. Yep. So, you know, you can't just get out there and be good first time around. Um, so those would be two. I don't know. We think about a third one. What would a third one be? Yeah, uh, be a student. Always be a student. Always be studying. Always be a student. You're never, you're never done. You're never done learning. Always be studying something, um, you know, bettering yourself in whatever way you can. So that would be the third one. Just, uh, strive for excellence, especially in education. Cool. Yep. Awesome. Well, Bill, cool. again. I really appreciate the time hey, you spend with us, man. It, yeah, it's, it's been good. You got, you got, you bring energy. Uh, you've brought a ton of great value. So I definitely oh, appreciate it. it. Yeah. How can our listeners get in touch with you learn more about what's going on? Definitely. Going on? Yeah. Hey, if anybody wants to email me directly, uh, it's bill at gobroadwell.com. Uh, that's my email. So please uh, reach out to me. If you got any questions or I can help you with anything, let me know. If you would like to invest with my company and my partners, that is uh, broadwellpropertygroup.com. So you can just go there. We have a section for investors. You can fill out the information. We'll be in touch with you. And then as far as the book and education is concerned, that's uh, the book is Get Creative Cash or Creative Cash, excuse me. And you can get Creative Cash at Amazon, Kindle, Audible, and uh, also at creativeapartmentdeals.com. That's where we have our masterclass as well. So those are all the ways people can get in touch with me and um, look forward to hearing from you. Awesome, man. Well, hey, you have a fantastic rest of the day. Thank you. I appreciate you too. Take care. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. 
and, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.